Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest is author Patrick Piccolo. Patrick lives in Ocala, Florida, and throughout his life worked in various capacities as an occupational health and safety specialist, a global data collection accounts manager, an adjunct professor of history and political science at Youngstown State University, as well as doing substitute teaching. Patrick has also served for 14 years in the Pennsylvania National Guard and the U.S. Army Reserves from 1980 to 1994. But also during his free time, Patrick has pursued his love of writing, publishing 15 books since 1989, mostly dealing with the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia. Patrick has earned over 23 awards for his writing. Tonight, we will be discussing his writing career and his latest book release, Truman's Kinda Sorta Cold War Laws a communique on the presidency of one Harry S. 1945 to 1953. Patrick, welcome back to the show. It's a great honor to have you here. Please tell our listeners about your latest book. Well, um, I've wanted to do a book on uh, Harry Truman for several years now um, because he's such an interesting character and I, I delve into that in the book. Um, I didn't realize when I first started studying the Cold War, um, with Truman being the first um, widely acknowledged Cold War leader in America post-World War II, I didn't realize he was a World War I National Guard veteran and rose to the rank of colonel in the National Guard um, between the wars. Um, so I covered that. Um, what else can I tell you? Harry, um, he, he, he was uh, a very uh, charismatic leader. He, um, he, he, he knew how to flex power, and uh, that's covered in the book. Um, he, um, he often used... Um, executive orders in place of where traditionally laws might have been used and laws in place of where um, uh, possibly constitutional amendments should have been used. Um, you know, I, I get it that the Constitution is not a suicide pact and there were serious challenges ahead of the country then and we needed leadership, but I also get it that we needed to strike a balance. and. Um, we're, we're still operating today based on the Truman-esque model, and uh, we may need to take a look at that. Now, in 1946, the Republicans gained control of both houses of Congress. Do you think his, his overusage of executive orders was in response to losing both houses of Congress from 47 to 49? Did that, was that the start of it? No doubt uh, that that had a, a big impact on it. Um, absolutely doubtless. Um, but I believe that too often, you know, the executive order has become almost a plaything in the executive rather than, you know, try to sell policies for what they are to both parties. Um, they just fire off executive orders anymore and we miss out on the debate. Can, Patrick, can you tell our listeners, can you give one or two examples of how Truman's quote-unquote executive overreach 
when it came to executive orders. Uh, talk about one or two examples of an excessive executive order, in your view, what you thought was excessive by your interpretation based on the evidence. Well, immediately post-World War II, um, he got rid of the Office of Strategic Services, which was the World War II military intelligence. And then uh, basically just a few months later, uh, within a year, he brought in the um, Central Intelligence Group. And um, it was to be a centralized intelligence and planning agency uh, prior to the CIA. And um, it did some very good work, uh, uh, especially on atomic uh, developments in Russia. But he did this with an executive order when it, it I, I believe it clearly should have been done with a law. And, um, you know, I believe that the, the, the danger to the Republic was such that he could have sold it to uh, both parties in, in the Congress. Okay. Uh, um, what laws, now you talk about laws in place of constitutional amendments. Can you give an example of, of a Truman administration law that, you know, and, you know, that is an example of, you know, instead of a constitutional amendment, they used the law. Can you give an example of that? Sure. Um, the the uh, founding of the CIA um, was, uh, was done in uh, 1947. And um, with the founding was given the ability of the CIA to so-called undertake other uh, missions and um, uh, uh, objectives as may be directed by the National Security Council from time to time. Now that's a carte blanche to undertake warlike acts and um, you know that that should have been a constitutional amendment rather than something that the president could just direct you know, assassinations, uh, invasions, uh, you know, these are all warlike acts under the, under international law. And, uh, it should have, should have taken a constitutional amendment to do that. Is it, I know during World War II, FDR saw an enormous expansion of his executive powers there under war powers acts and all that. Do you think he was basing that on FDR's model or no, this was something even FDR never envisioned what Ed Truman was using in terms of executive power? Wow. Um, you know, on the domestic front, FDR was often accused of overstepping his bounds. Um, I think it's possible FDR might have even gone further than Truman in the, uh, in the international, you know, scope of things. Okay. Um, you know, in some respects, Truman was a moderate. Um, he laid the groundwork for Eisenhower to go ahead and do many things under those provisions of the uh, National Security Act of 1947. Do you think in a way that what Truman's executive orders inadvertently made McCarthyism possible in your view? Do you think that? Oh, I, yeah. it, oh, what, I forget. I, you said yes? Yes. Can you expand on that, Patrick? Please, can you expand on well, that? Um, his executive orders, he he um, he integrated the um, the um, uh, military and the civilian bureaucracy 
based on race and national origin. But he left sexual orientation out of the mix. And, um, you know, this left it wide open for Eisenhower to come in and uh, declare that uh, gay people were the enemy. And they became the common enemy in the 50s and the 60s. What besides Truman, which members of his cabinet, or perhaps as a White House aides, you could say enabled and encouraged Truman in this "quote unquote" executive overreach? And who were the key people who you think were partners in that? Oh my, um, I'm not that familiar with the Truman cabinet. The the book is short; it's only about 88 pages long, um, and I didn't get into the Truman cabinet very much in the book. Were there any cabinet members or aides who may have expressed reservations about Truman's, you know, uh, you know, executive orders, anything you came across? Well, backing up just a little bit, his secretary of the Navy, um, I think it was Forstall, was uh, very much in favor of confronting the Soviet Union. And um, one of his State Department aides, uh, Georgia Cannon, uh, brought about the policy of containment, which came along right about the time of the establishment of the CIA. Um, but Cannon was not a cabinet member. Um, what was the, What was the next question you asked? Um, did were there were, did any cabinet members express like reservations or opposition to what you know Truman was trying to do with his use of executive orders? Any reservations? I, I didn't see. Um, I didn't see any evidence of that. I'm not saying it's not there, but I didn't see any evidence of that. Did Truman himself ever explain, either in his personal notes or to, uh, to others, you know, his motives, you know, for this use of uh, uh, this expansion of executive order power? Mm. Did he ever explain it? Um. Well, George Kennan explained it for him. He said, taking cognizance of the Soviet Union's overt acts, we need to oppose Soviet power at every point the Soviet Union tries to expand. And that was the doctrine of containment, which came after various, um, first there was the quid pro quo approach uh, Truman undertook right after World War II. And um, then there was the patience and firmness approach to the Soviets. And then came containment, and George Kennan um, was—I don't want to say his mouthpiece, but in a lot of ways was his uh, his prosecuting attorney that did a lot of the inking of the uh, uh, material. Were there any members of Congress who expressed opposition to Truman's uh, use of executive orders? I mean, did, was there was there any type of significant congressional opposition to what Truman was trying to do? Um, not, uh, not a, a lot from what I saw. Um, you know, it wasn't just the Cold War that brought the, uh, the CIA and the Air Force and the Department of Defense into the organizations that we still have today. Um, it was also the legacy of Pearl Harbor. So there was, there was some tremendous unity around uh, these policies, not wanting another Pearl Harbor. So that 
you know, I, I, again, I don't know that I mentioned that at all in the book, but, um, you know, you can, you can only go into so much in a, in a short um, kind of a missive. Did any members of the press uh, try uh, try to expose Truman's excesses of power? I mean, was there any type of press opposition? Don't know. Okay, Patrick. When you were growing up, who were your favorite authors? Um, we discussed this last time. I think. Yeah, and I I I, I liked Michener a lot, and um. I liked um, W.E.B. Griffith, or Griffin, um, whose real name is Butterworth. Um, and um, I don't remember so much of the authors as the uh, titles. Um, I, I remember in, in uh, fifth grade reading uh, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. That was one of my favorite books about the, um, uh, the uh, revenge attack on Tokyo uh, after Pearl Harbor and um, how that was planned and executed. You know, the, the, the whole uh, intelligence and operations and training behind that whole mission and the execution of it and how their survival training fit into how some of these crews survived in China after they crashed in China um, after making the bombing attack. Um, Getting back to Truman, when you were doing your research, what was your sense of Truman as a, as a person and as a president? What was based on your research? What was your interpretation of him? Well, I think he was a, a, a great leader um, but I think he copped out, um, I think he had the chance to be really great and pursue debate, um, and he kind of became a tin pot at the end, um, and when I say the end, I'm talking about post-World War II, okay. uh, he kind of became a, you know, he said the buck stops here, I'm a tough guy, you know, he kind of pushed that a little bit past where maybe the envelope should have been pushed. Do you think that our involvement in the Korean War was another a, a example of Truman's excessive executive power since there was no declaration of war? Um, should there have been a declaration of war in, in Korea? Um, clearly people like MacArthur might have been more comfortable with that, but once once you open a, a declaration of war, all bets are off. You, you don't know what the government's going to look like after the war is over or what's going to happen or, you know, and I think Truman was trying to contain things. And, um, you know, uh, I think he was ill-advised. So go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, not so much in participating in the conflict, but as I think defending South Korea was a wise choice. But he was ill-advised that the North could have proven to be such a threat and that the Chinese would definitely intervene. Of, of course, his advisors hedged. They said the Chinese will only intervene if uh, pushed to the wall. And the Chinese massively intervened when we approached the Chinese border. 
Um, the Russians intervened with air power. Um, I, I think the intelligence community missed out on a, on a chance to uh, do a better job of predicting what could have happened leading up to uh, Korea. When the Chinese intervened and the Korean War became a stalemate, do you think that brought out a Truman's excessive use of executive power, or that happened before uh, the Korean War? Okay, uh, that happened before the Korean War. When we're, when we're talking about the Korean War started in 1950, and um, what I say we should have had more debate was with the National Security Act of 47 and okay. the Central Intelligence Group Executive Order of 46. Okay. So he was, you know, he was already, you know, flexing quite a bit. Okay. So the seeds were already sown by that point, okay? But, but I think he had a grave threat to democracy in General MacArthur. I think that that has all been downplayed. You know, he fired General MacArthur. I believe, and I state this clearly in the book, that MacArthur was appointed the UN commander in Korea. And I think MacArthur wanted to be UN commander of a war against China and Russia, and therefore make Truman as president of the United States irrelevant. Hmm. Yeah. Truman, Truman had to fire MacArthur. He had to. He had no choice. Because I remember reading in William Manchester's book, American Caesar, about MacArthur, that sometimes MacArthur thought of himself not so much as yeah, as a U.S. general, but as a as like an international general. In other words, not answerable to Truman, but answerable only to the U.N. In that sense, he was more of an international, independent, uh, 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 what you say, authority in that sense. I mean, did you get that same sense when you were doing your research that that was yeah, his, his mindset? And that was a, that was a great book. I loved Manchester's MacArthur. That was a that was uh, American Caesar was an outstanding book. Yeah. Yeah, so so you believe he did the right thing that MacArthur was a true threat then, correct? Yes. Where can readers find this book, uh, Patrick, and your other books? Where are they available? Are they available in stores? Uh, Amazon.com. Now, is this book uh, conventionally published or self-published, Patrick? Self-published with Amazon Kindle. Um, it, it's also in paperback. It's not just Kindle editions. And if they go to uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Pacalo Patrick, they'll get there. Patrick, I asked you this in, when we talked four months ago in August, but I'll ask you this end because I want you to tell our listeners again. You have this personal motto, quote, I believe all who work in social sciences and humanities should disclose, unquote. Please tell our listeners the moral behind that motto. Well, I had a professor named Ed Platt, and um, when I was growing up in my early uh, college years and later college years, not so much growing up, a young adult, and he used to disclose to us a little bit about, you know, his voting record, what, what he thought about politics in general, and... Um, you know, he, he strove to be apolitical, and he, he made no bones about that. Um, that's different from being nonpartisan or bipartisan 
or um, uh, trying to show no bias, because I don't believe anybody can show no bias. Um, so I believe you should disclose a little bit about yourself so that the students can judge for themselves whether you're slanting or not. And it's not just in teaching, but in, in other aspects of humanities and social sciences, such as uh, writing as well. Patrick, what, please tell our listeners, what is your next book project? Uh, what, what's the subject matter and when can we expect its release? Well, I want to release something in maybe six months to a year. Uh, I'm not sure what at this point. I'm not going to start on it for at least six months. I'm going to take some time and I'm going to um, spend some time with my spouse and I'm going to spend some time doing what I really like to do and it's promoting stuff that I've already done. Ah. I want to spend some time promoting these. I've got a number of books out there right now. Well, Patrick, when you come up with your next book project, let me know, and I want, I'd want i love to have you on my show again, okay? All right, sir, no problem. And uh, we, again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Patrick's uh, latest book is called Truman's Kind of Sort of Cold War Laws, a communique on the presidency of one Harry S. from 1945 to 1953, and you can get it at Amazon. Patrick, I'd like to wish you and your family a very wonderful and safe Christmas and again, uh, I'd love to have you on my show again. Just let me know when your next book's coming out, okay? Same to you, Matthew. Take care. Have a peaceful and safe new year. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will be interviewing author and football historian Terrence Troop. Thank you and good night and Merry Christmas.